Well, good morning, First Alliance Church. Oh, that was awesome. Did you guys rehearse that? That was really good. Well, hey, I am Ross Owens. I'm an executive pastor at Allegheny Center Alliance Church, which is located on the north side of Pittsburgh. Now, if you don't know where Pittsburgh is, I would encourage you to pull out your phone and quickly Google the city with the most Super Bowl wins. <laughs> and the first city that better pop up will be Pittsburgh. There's a guy in the back like, oh, boo. <laughs> but I do want to thank Pastor Kirk for this opportunity to come and share God's word. And I do want to thank Pastor Donald and his wife, Joyce, for the hospitality you have shown my wife and I. Now, as for me, I have been at ACAC for a little over seven years as an executive pastor. Um, and this past week, my wife and I have celebrated 25 years of marriage. <laughs> Do know that applaud was for her for staying with me for 25 years. Now we do have two children. We have young, two young adult children. We have a 22-year-old daughter who just turned 22 a few days ago. And we have a 19-year-old son who will soon turn 20 in August. Our oldest daughter, she just graduated from college and our son is uh, entering into his third year of college. So please pray for me. <laughs> Having young adults is so challenging. I wish they would have stayed 12 and then from 12 went to like 25 or 30, but the Lord doesn't have it that way. Well, as we dive into God's word today, I do want to repoint you to the scripture found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 57 through 60. And although they were previously read, I do want to read them again. So starting with Luke, uh, chapter 9, verse 57, it reads, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you, talking to Jesus, wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, at first blush, Jesus' response seems more discouraging than encouraging and may appear as though he was pushing those potential disciples away. But during today's study, I will make two key points that will demonstrate that Jesus was actually drawing them to himself by sharing critical aspects of discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So this week's teaching actually comes in the form of a question, which is, what is required to be a follower, or to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to come humbly but yet boldly to the throne of grace to hear what thus saith the Lord. 
God, I thank you for this opportunity to come to First Alliance Church and say what you have put on my heart. So Lord, even through my preparation, we give freedom to the Holy Spirit to direct my words, to direct my behavior, so I can say what's on God's heart. And we pray that your Holy Spirit touches every listener, Lord. Allow their heart to become good soil so that I can plant, someone else can water, but at the end of the day, you will give the increase. So God, we just ask that you prepare our hearts and our minds to receive exactly what you want us to receive. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So again, starting with Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it says, And as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now the corresponding verses in Matthew 8:20 informs us that this man in verse 57 was a scribe. And scribes in ancient Israel were the religious elite and had many roles, some of which were to study the law, transcribe it, and write commentaries on it. Now on the surface, it would seem like a scribe would be a great asset to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially compared to someone like Peter, who was a mere fisherman. And most of the scribes we see through Scripture were not actually friends of Jesus. And Scripture shows us that Jesus even rebuked them on more than one occasion. But this particular scribe wanted to be a disciple of Jesus. And interestingly enough, Jesus did not say no. However, Jesus wanted to make sure that this scribe knew what he was asking for. And he tells the man, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, to be clear, Jesus isn't saying that being a disciple will lead to homelessness and poverty. But he chose this language carefully because the scribe were among the wealthiest citizens of that time. And Jesus is basically saying that if you want to follow me, you have to forego some of life's comforts. And this brings us to our first point, which is following Jesus requires us to deny ourselves. And it requires us to deny ourselves of two things. Number one is worldly comforts. If we are going to become a disciple of Jesus Christ in order, for, in order for us to become wealthy and to own a lot of expensive things, let me tell you, that is the wrong motive. Jesus never promised us that we will be wealthy if we follow him. And the next thing is, we must deny ourselves of self-rule. And it's saying to ourselves that it is no longer about what I want to do, but it is about what God wants to do. And for Jesus, I am ready to endure suffering, shame, and opposition. See, Jesus makes this exact same point in this exact same chapter, talking to those same group of disciples. In verse 23, he says, Then he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must, now watch this, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, oftentimes we use the phrase deny yourself 
and self-denial interchangeably. However, it is very important that we distinguish between the two. And I love the way that Neil Anderson says this in his book, in his book Bondage, Bondage Breaker. He says, denying yourself is not the same as self-denial. Every student athlete and cult member practices self-denial, restricting themselves from substances and activities which keeps them from reaching their goals. But the ultimate purpose of this kind of self-denial is self-promotion. To receive the top grade, to break a record, to achieve a status and recognition. But he goes on to say this, to deny ourselves is to deny self-rule because dying to self is the primary battle of life. Now, interestingly enough, Neil Anderson is talking about denying ourselves to obtain spiritual freedom from bondage. But I believe the same thing applies to what Jesus is saying because he understands how life's comforts, worldly possessions, and even money can quickly become idols. See, we cling to them for affirmation and self-worth, and we showcase our homes, our cars, and our clothes as trophies as a job well done by me. And in our pursuit for earthly idols, we exercise self-denial for the mere purpose of self-gratification. So Jesus is telling the scribe that in order to follow him, he has to deny himself of world's comforts and be comfortable living a simple life and to deny himself of self-rule and allow Jesus and Jesus alone to sit on the throne. So following Jesus requires us to deny ourselves. Now the scripture goes on to say in verse 59, he said to another man, follow me, but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, in studying this passage, you'll find different explanations of what it means for this man to bury his father. Was the man's father already dead, or was he in danger of dying? In my opinion, the text is not clear, but what is clear is this man's response to Jesus' request to follow him, which was, Lord, I have more important things to do first. And in my mind, I can see Jesus leaning forward, wagging his finger at this man, telling him, let the dead bury their own dead but you go and you proclaim the kingdom of God. At the end of the day, this exchange between this man and Jesus highlights the question, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, who comes first, one's family or Jesus? Which brings me to my next point. Following Jesus requires us to make him our number one priority. So yes, it is good for us to bury our loved ones. And there are a lot of good things in this world that we should do, and those things are even pleasing to God. However, 
no good thing should take the place of the best thing, which is intuiting the Holy Spirit, walking in obedience and not understanding, and following Jesus even when it seems unreasonable. And that's what Jesus is saying to this man. He said, let the spiritually dead attend to the routine task of life while those who put their faith and trust in Jesus follow him. Now, let me be clear. God wants us and he even commands us to care for the needs of our family, but we cannot neglect our spiritual calling in the process. You see, it doesn't matter if this man had to miss his dad's funeral or miss out in taking care of his aging father. Following Jesus has to be more important than all of those things. But see, this is the reality. There is nothing in this world that should take precedent over us following Jesus. Absolutely nothing. So while that sounds pretty bad, here's the good point. When Jesus becomes our number one priority, he will not call us to neglect our family. While we are walking in our calling, we will actually be in a better position to take care of our loved ones. See, making Jesus your number one priority does not absolve you from your duties as a husband, as a wife, or a mother, and a father. Jesus is not suggesting that we spend all of our time at church and never with our family. And he's not suggesting that we drag our kids to church all week long. See, we cannot forget what 1 Timothy says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. He says, if anyone does not provide for the, his relatives, and especially his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse off than an unbeliever. See, making Jesus a priority will never pull you away from God's design for the family. Why? Because God's design for marriage and God's design for parenthood reveals God's character like nothing else in creation. So, if you love the church more than you love your family, don't blame that on God. And if you spend more time at church than you do with your family, don't blame that on God. Making Jesus your number one priority is actually discerning the balance between discipling in the home and discipling outside the home. And discerning when to prioritize spiritual matters over worldly matters. And spiritual matters must always come first. Now for clarity, making Jesus our number one priority is not putting Jesus at the top of our list. See, when Jesus is at the top of our list, it implies a sequential set of steps in our relationship with him. So, for example, I wake up in the morning, I spend time with Jesus, I check that box off, then I go about my day. I, before I go to bed, I go and I say my prayers, and then after that, I go straight to bed. So, putting Jesus in our checklist is not what it means to prior, make Jesus our number one priority. To make Jesus our number one priority 
actually creates a hub-and-spoke model where Jesus is at the center of everything that we do, and then everything that we do after that flows from our intimacy and our relationship with Jesus Christ. So before I even get on Facebook, I need to check with Jesus. Before I go to work, I need to check with Jesus. Everything that I do should flow from this intimacy and relationship that I have with Jesus, and that's what it means to make Jesus your number one priority. Imagine where our marriages would be if once we get off of work, before we go into the house, we spend time with Jesus. Imagine how things would be at work if before I send an email off, I just spend a little bit of time with Jesus. Everything that we do should flow from that relationship and that intimacy with God. And let me tell you this, if you don't remember anything else that I say today, remember this. First Alliance Church, there is a mystery and a miracle in getting more done in life by spending more time with Jesus. I cannot understand it. The math does not add up. But there was times when I was working and I would get up early in the morning and do my best to complete everything on my task list. And for some reason, at the end of the day, I still had more stuff to do. But once Jesus became my number one priority and everything flowed through him, there's just this mystery. And I can't explain it. The time doesn't add up. But there's a mystery and a miracle in spending and getting more done by spending more time with Jesus. So if you want to be productive at work, if you want to be productive as a husband, as a father, as a wife, as a caregiver, no matter what God is calling you to do, if you want to be more productive, First Alliance, spend more time with Jesus. Not only will you get more done, You'll get, it done. You'll get it done a lot better. And to it, the Holy Spirit, walk by faith and not by sight. Take those faith-filled risks and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you on a daily basis. You'll find out that your day will be a lot better. Now, let me just add this. Um, I don't know about you, but every now and then I come across a verse or a story in the Bible that speaks directly to my situation or to my lifestyle. And this portion of Scripture found in the book of Luke actually does exactly that. Why? See, nine year, about nine years ago, the Lord had called my wife into full-time ministry. So she was working with the Pittsburgh Board of Education for over 22 years, and then she received a voice from the Lord saying, follow me. Now, my, life, my wife is a much better Christian than I, than I am. So she was like, okay, if the Lord is calling me to leave my job, then I'm going to leave my job and go into ministry full-time where I have to raise my support as an urban missionary. So for me personally, that was okay, because at that point, my job that I had was able to sustain us, and listen to this, it allowed us to maintain the lifestyle that we had become accustomed to. So my wife took a 50% pay cut 
answered the Lord's call and began to follow him as an urban missionary. So everything was cool in life. But about a year later, the Lord began to call me into full-time ministry. Now, I got to be honest. Again, my wife is a, lot better, a much better Christian than I am because when God gave me that calling, I started grappling with it. I was like, the Lord, there is no way that she just took a 50% pay cut and now you're calling me into full-time ministry knowing that I'm going to have to make, uh, knowing that I'm going to have to pay cut, to take a pay cut. And this is the crazy part. I was already serving in ministry for around 15 years. So I was able to preach taking faith-filled risk. But when God called me to take a faith-filled risk, whoa, Lord, we got to talk. This just does not make sense. See, I was like that man in the Bible. Lord, I want to follow you, but now is not the right time. It just did not make sense. So as a result of that, I grappled for about a year. And then I got to the point where I did share it with my wife. I said, babe, I feel that the Lord is calling me into ministry full time. And so while I thought she was a lot more saved than I was, she was like, whoa, what are you talking about? <laughs> but we talked through it. And what we did was we were able to look back of how, on how good God has been to us. We were able to revisit scripture in our hearts and remember that God will never leave us nor forsake us. So it got to the point that both my wife and I were comfortable with God's calling on my life. Now, to be honest, it was okay because I wasn't looking for a job. No one had knocked on the door and said, Ross, we want you to come into ministry full time. So while we were comfortable with the calling, we weren't looking for me to leave my job. But then there's God. And a couple weeks later, we're sitting at the church having dinner. One of the pastors came up and he said, hey, Ross and Lisa, can I talk to you? Um, and so we invited him to sit with us and have dinner, and he looked at me and he asked a question. He said, Ross, what is God calling you to do? And Lisa and I looked at each other, and I said I had just told her that I've resolved in my spirit that I'm ready for ministry full time. My jaw dropped. And it was just amazing how the Lord had already prepared my life and my wife's life to step out on faith and answer this call of ministry. I was shaking in my boots, but at the same time, I was comfortable and encouraged that out of all the more qualified people, God chose us. So, at that point, I left my job and I went into ministry full-time. But let me tell you this. When I did that and when we did that, we took a 50% pay cut. We had to sell our home and move back into the city where we first started our marriage. But let me tell you this. While our income went down, our quality of life has skyrocketed. 
we see God moving in ways we have never sought him move. We actually had an opportunity to go to Gabon with our family. Our daughter isn't following the Lord. Our son is, but our daughter, she went on this mission trip, and I know for a fact that God spoke to her. I know he's doing mighty things through her. So when we begin to step out on faith, not only does it impact us, it impacts our family. Men, let me tell you this. There is no greater gift than you can give to your wife and to your children than to make God your number one priority and to follow him whenever he calls. That is the greatest gift I have ever given my family, is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And again, our income went down, but our quality of life has skyrocketed. And it goes back to what I said earlier. There is a mystery and a miracle in spending more and getting more done by spending more time with Jesus. I am more busy now than I have ever been in corporate America, but for some reason, I get to spend more time with my family. If God is calling you to follow him, do it. Now, your calling may not be in full-time ministry, but I believe that if you have given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has put on your heart to do something. He has put inside of you a spiritual gift, which means there, that you are an expert in something. There is something that only you can do that nobody else can do. God put that gift inside of you, and he is pulling you to that greater level of intimacy, and he wants you to serve. So if God has put that burden on your heart, and you are grappling with it right now, thinking, but no, I got to spend more time with my family. No, I got to get my finances in order. No, I have to finish school. No, Lord, I don't want to do that now because I have A, B, and C to do. If God is calling you to do something, church family, I encourage you to step out on faith and make Jesus your number one priority and put your faith and your trust in him. It may cause you the big house. You may have to sell some of your clothes and you may have to sell some of your belongings, whatever it is. Let me tell you from experience, your life is going to get much better. It doesn't get any better than following Jesus Christ. Now, let me quickly add this. Denying ourselves and making Jesus our number one priority will stretch you culturally. See, I grew up in an all-black church, and God called us to ACAC. And when we went to ACAC, that was the first time that I had worship beside anyone who was not an African-American. We were in our 30s when that happened. I grew up in the church. My wife grew up in the church. But it took us to follow Jesus, to make him our number one priority, for me to worship beside someone who didn't look like me. And it was a stretch. Because culturally, I was used to the hand clapping, the feet stomping. We got the ACAC and they had none of that. <laughs> and so we're looking at each other like, okay, this doesn't have that stank that we're used to in a black church. But guess what it had? You could feel the Holy Spirit moving throughout that entire body. 
we were worshiping besides people from Africa, from Asia, people who were white, people from different countries. There was an interpreter up front. She was doing the uh, English, I mean, the sign language. We had people doing English as a second language. So it was so awesome to be beside people from God's creation. So going to ACAC stretched us culturally. And this is what makes it so bad. See, you may not know the history of ACAC, but in the, uh, it wasn't until the 1980s that ACAC was uh, an all-white church. And at that time, anytime somebody black came to those doorsteps, the ushers would stop them and say, I'm sorry, but your church is down the street. So in protest, there was this young lady from the neighborhood who would sit on the front steps and smoke weed right in front of the church. Years would go by, and four years later, the Lord called Pastor Rock, or former lead pastor, to ACAC and put on his heart to make that a multicultural church. Now, this is the interesting point. Pastor Rock grew up in an all-white neighborhood, went to an all-white church, and pastored in an all-white church for many of years. But when Pastor Rock answered that calling, he knew that he had no experience with black people. He had no experience with the multicultural church. So he had to lean totally on the Holy Spirit to do the work for him and through him. So he went there, and the first thing he did at ACAC, after the Lord began to, put that, began to put that burden on his heart, he changed the music from all white music to incorporate some gospel music. Now, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but if you want to see people leave, leave the church, change the music. And that's exactly what happened. People began to leave the church because they didn't want to hear that black music. But Pastor Rock kept on. Then we looked at the, well, they looked at the children's ministry curriculum because our children's ministry began to blossom because now we were guiding into a multicultural church. And when they looked at the children's ministry curriculum, everyone inside of the stories were white. So what did they have to do? They had to begin looking for a new children's ministry curriculum. But there was none available that had a multicultural that had multicultural pictures in them. So ACAC had to create their own children's ministry curriculum to include people of color. And it's important because people of color are actually all throughout the Old and the New Testament. And people of color need to see themselves depicted inside of the story of God and the history of Jesus Christ. They need to see themselves inside the canons so they can say, if they can do it, I can do it also. So when we began to incorporate people of color inside the curriculum, people began to leave the church. But for every person that walked out the back door, God was increasing people coming in the front door. And we saw that church blossom. And now ACAC sits on 1.2 acre lot in the north side, right outside of downtown, as a multicultural community of God, where we, where we worship together, where we do life together, where we get dirty with one another together. And it is beautiful. It is a mosaic where we see God's people from all over this world come together and worship multi-ethnic, social economic, people with different backgrounds, neurodiversity, you name it, we got it. And we worship God 
together as we follow Jesus in diverse communities. So, following Jesus will stretch you culturally. It will stretch your lifestyle. But at the end of the day, God will reveal himself in his diversity. Think about it. God created diversity in creation. When we look at bugs, trees, plants, flowers, everything that God creates is diverse. But those things do not have God's image inside of them. It is us who are the Imago Dei. It is us who reflect the image and we are image barriers of God. So when we get together as diverse people that was created in God's image, it creates harmony like nothing else. And if you want to get a glimpse into it, go to the book of Revelation and we see that in heaven, they will be worshiping from every tribe, every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. That does not have to only happen in heaven. It needs to happen here on earth because that's what God has called and created us to do. So following Jesus will stretch you culturally. It'll challenge your Christian ethics. It'll challenge the music that you grew up on. And it'll challenge how you see one another. There are some of my white colleagues who I love so dearly, but they have no idea what happens in the black community. So for me to sit down across the table, share a cup of coffee, and enlighten them on the plight of the black family, but also the awesome things that God is doing in the black community, is encouraging, and we both walk away with a greater revelation of who God is. So First Alliance Church, as I close, what we see throughout this particular section of Scripture is we see there are two disciples that God is calling. There's the eager disciple who volunteered to follow Jesus anywhere till Jesus warned him that discipleship might be uncomfortable because he would have to deny himself. And in his approach to discipleship, he was moving too fast. But Jesus had to caution him to consider the cost because Jesus didn't want this man to serve for selfish reasons. Then there was the reluctant disciple who when commanded to follow Jesus, he wanted to wait until he finished his personal matters first. But Jesus rejected that excuse. See, this man was moving too fast, too slow, because earthly matters took priority in his life. But you see, Jesus is seeking the willing disciple. He's looking for the person who accepts the fact that following Jesus requires us to deny ourselves and following Jesus requires us to make him our number one priority. So again, I'll say this. There's somebody that God is calling to step out on faith to follow him. He's ready to challenge your culture 
He's ready to challenge everything that you've learned as a child and as an adult. He's ready to challenge those things so that you can get a greater revelation of who he is and be part of this beautiful diversity of people who God called and created. Following Jesus in diverse community is never comfortable. And let me challenge you with this. If you have become comfortable in your calling, there's probably more that God wants to do in you and through you. Being part of a multi-ethnic, multicultural environment is not easy and it is not comfortable. But there is nothing more rewarding. All you have to do is deny yourself and make Jesus your number one priority. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know for a fact that there is someone who has been feeling that tug in their heart for days or weeks or maybe even months to step out of their comfort zone and deny themselves and make you their number one priority. God, I pray right now for their revelation that they will see that right now is the time to make that jump to leave the comforts of our lifestyle behind and follow you. It will become messy, but Lord, help them to understand there is nothing more rewarding. Lord, I pray that your spirit will cover this entire church. I pray, God, that Kirk will be challenged in his leading a diverse culture of believers, but God, that you will strengthen him, you will encourage him, that you will not let allow his works to go, uh, to go on, to fall on dead ears. God, I pray that you will continue to lead him and guide him, God, as he leads and guides this church. I pray for the elders, I pray for the congregants, and I pray for those that have not even stepped foot in this church yet, that the Spirit will lead them and guide them to do hard things. God, you have called us to be world changers, but we don't have the power to change the world, but the Holy Spirit does. So all we have to do is be obedient to your calling and watch the fruit blossom all around us. So please lead each and every one of us into truth and righteousness. And I pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.